Well, I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to the chapter that we looked at last week, Jeremiah chapter 23. I'm not going to read it, but we're going to be looking at verses from 13 to 32. And uh, there is one verse, I suppose, that sums up what the old chapter is about, and that's verse 13. Jeremiah chapter 23, and the, the first verse says this, And I have seen folly in the prophets of Samaria. They prophesied by Baal and caused my people Israel to err. And I suppose that's the, the verse that would sum up for us the whole of this chapter because Jeremiah is um, he's addressing uh, the false prophets that were in Israel and Samaria <coughs> at this time. You will know, you remember last week that we, we started to look at the problem of false teachers and false prophets turning up here in the 21st century you know we are not immune from these type of people they were there in the Old Testament they were there in the New Testament they've been there in church history and they are here in our time today you know and, uh, and it's, it's you know, incumbent upon us that we recognize them that we recognize them and we know who they are and what they're about in order to safeguard ourselves from being hoodwinked into following such a people. You know, and they are, they are you, not particularly in this place this morning, but they are abroad in order to turn people away from the Lord and away from the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. You know, the, the phrase I used last week was, not everyone who comes with a word from the Lord actually has a word from the Lord. They might tell you they have, and they might dress it up in supernatural events and occurrences and experiences, but you see, they haven't got a word from the Lord. God says, I haven't sent them. I haven't sent them. They haven't, they're not telling you what I'm saying. They are, they've dreamed in their own hearts made things up in their own hearts so we've got to be very very careful when we, to whom we listen to you know there's a when uh, um, Jesus said the parable of the soils he says at the end he says be careful what you listen to you know and in another place he says be careful who you listen to or how you listen and who you listen you know and um, it's important for us how do we safeguard ourselves how we, do we discern which is the person to listen to and which is the one to reject and if you remember last week we did look at two um, tests just by way of introduction and we saw that if a prophet says something and that something doesn't come to pass then we are to reject that prophet and the Bible also said, and we are not to be afraid of it. You know, which is strange, isn't it? Because sometimes prophe prophecies like this could bring us into bondage. And ooh, But we haven't got to be afraid of people who say things and they don't come to pass. You know, that's one of the, the easiest tests that we could put on a preacher or on a, a prophet, prophet in our day and age. If it comes to pass, then yes, he may be worth a listen. But if it doesn't come to pass, he definitely isn't worth a listen, and we are not to be afraid of it. Now, just as an aside, 
Such a test would place a limit on the scope of modern day prophecy. You see on Thursday nights we have been dealing with prophecies that were written some 800 years before Christ. And they weren't fulfilled until Christ and some of them haven't been fulfilled yet. Now it's impossible to use as a test something that he says that didn't come to pass. You know, because people in Daniel's day are thinking, Daniel, are you a true prophet? Because what you said hasn't come to pass. In fact, we could stand by here and say, Daniel, are you a true prophet? Because what you've said hasn't come to pass yet. But see, that's the scope of Old Testament prophecy. It takes us right into the future. But when we come to modern day prophecy, if this test is a valid one, then what they say has to be short-lived. It has to be a, a short turnover so that you and I can have the wisdom to say, well, it hasn't come to pass and therefore I will not listen to you. Can you understand what I mean? You know, a prophet in the Old Testament prophesied a thousand, two thousand, three thousand years before it happened. But a prophet today, it must be short-term. Otherwise we could never use that test that has been given to us. So today prophecies or pronouncements from our pulpit should be short term if we are to judge them by the criteria that we dealt with last time. That was the first test that we made. Secondly, we asked the question, does what the prophets say draw us closer to Christ or encourage us to move away from Him? You know, even though He may be a great miracle worker, if His message isn't Christ-centred, then we are to reject his ministry. Whoever he is, you know, however big a name he's got, however massive a following he's got, no matter what his results are, if he's not drawing us to Jesus, then we are to reject his ministry. You know, and that's important for us because we can be so swayed by what he does and what's happening in front of us. We can be so easily swayed because we are longing for that type of thing. No, we're longing for God to move in power. We're longing for healings and deliverances and all those things. Of course we are. But if someone comes and brings our longing to pass, but takes us away from Jesus, then we have to reject Him. And be careful that we reject Him. Because He hasn't come from God. Now this morning I just want us to uh, skip through really the chapter that we are dealing with because in it we see a number of other tests that we can use to discern whether the preacher in our pulpit or any other pulpit because you see I'm not talking just about Emmanuel you know we go to other places you know we go to spring harvest and uh, Elian conferences and we go to big meetings and stuff like that and they're all around us so you know um, these tests that, uh, that God gives us uh, enable us to discern whether the preacher in our pulpit or any other pulpit is to be listened to or rejected. You know, and Jeremiah 23 gives us a number of testable, testable criteria to use to keep ourselves safe from the wiles of the devil. And first of all, there is the moral issue. The moral issue. Verse 14 says, Also, I have seen a horrible thing in the prophets of Jerusalem. 
they commit adultery and walk in lies they also strengthen hands of evildoers so that no one turns back from his wickedness all of them are like Sodom to me and her inhabitants are like Gomorrah now a horrible thing that's a very strong strong word that uh, Jeremiah uses the Hebrew word is a very strong word it's, uh, it's perhaps it's, a, it's an ugly word you know and for God to use such a word in the light of what we are seeing in our society today you know what we see in our society today we would say is horrible things are happening horrible things are happening but you know when we look at that and we see the seriousness of the situation and the violence and the sinfulness that is taking place in our land for God to say I've seen a horrible thing would suggest that this what we are dealing with here this morning is a very extremely serious thing in the eyes of God now adultery we know especially in the Old Testament usually signifies spiritual adultery when people when God says you've committed adultery you've gone off with other gods that's a, a, a normal way of using the word adultery in the Old Testament but in this context I think that sexual immorality is a part of this condemnation why do I think that? well because Sodom and Gomorrah has been referred to and we know that Sodom and Gomorrah was two cities among many that had gone so deeply into sexual immorality that God felt the need to destroy them so when we talk about adultery in this context we are talking yes about spiritual adultery that these people are taking people away from God but we are also talking about physical uh, immorality as well you are here to cite Sodom and Gomorrah and to talk of walking in lies is to point to the physical morality or the lack of it of these prophets you know and today I would say that the moral standards um, of our society are lower than ever before you know and that's a big thing to say I would say that they are lower than the standards that God has set you know when we look at the, the, the Ten Commandments and we put them by the side of what we are seeing when we look at the abominations that God calls out in the Old Testament six abominations and we look at society we can see what God is talking about we are so our level of morality is so low today no we have cancelled out the ideals of God at every hand we are calling filth natural and we are calling depravity normal we are allowing things today that even a generation ago we would be appalled at as a nation we would be nationally appalled at what is going on in our land today just a few years ago no we are allowing things today that um, that we wouldn't have dreamed possible you know my grandfather if he was to come back here today and see what this country is allowing you know when we have drag queens brought into churches to tell Sunday school stories that's how low down this world has gone 
You know, my, my grandfather, my father even, would, would pull his hair out at what we are seeing in our time today because everything is going in the way of evil. You know, and therefore I would say that the preacher of the gospel should be, has to be, significant, the morals of the, of the preacher of the gospel should be significantly higher of, of higher standard than the morality that society, that, that the society is speaking into. You know, if we are not, if we exhibit the same morals as the society around us, then we will have no voice to speak to them. We can never call them out of darkness into his light. We can never put the, our finger on the sins of the people and say, these are sins before the Lord. You know, and we know that there are, um, you know, the, 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 the liberal Dem Democrat leader of the last general election, he was a Christian. You know, if you remember, he, he was... Uh, he was hounded by the press every, every interview. Do you think homosexuality is a sin? You know, and, uh, and of course he, he was trying to carry favour with the, with the electorate. And for a long time he said no until he had to give up and say yes. It is. You know, and how can we speak into that type of thing if we are doing it ourselves? We cannot uh, be a voice to the nations as a, a moral standard if we are our standards are as low as theirs. We've got nothing to call people out from and we've got nothing to call people into. And therefore our standard of morality has got to be so much higher, significantly higher. It has to mirror Christ's standard of morality rather than the world that we belong to. It's essential. You want for a preacher to stand in the pulpit Knowing that his morality is no different from the people that he's preaching to. You know, it's going to be uh, wrong in the eyes of God. Now I know that any one of us are liable to fall. You know, we are still in the flesh. And the flesh is weak. You know, and to not point into people who fall... You know, I know there's loads of preachers, uh, good preachers, br brilliant preachers, who have fallen. You know, I got uh, a man that I looked up to so much when I was uh, sort of in my formative years. You know, and his, his preaching was absolutely brilliant. His church was buzzing. But he fell. He fell. You know, and I, I dasn't criticize him. Because I know that bare but for the grace of God, I am. You know, but that man, that man fell. Yes, he did. But he also came back to the Lord in humility and repentance and again stands on pulpits and preaches the ever-living gospel of Jesus Christ. Of course we can fall. Of course we can fail. You know, and we don't need criticism when that happens. We need prayer. We need understanding. We need restoration. You know, and the, the preacher who falls keeps that short account with God. You know, and we look then, of course, for repentance. To the ones that we look for our spiritual authority. The horrible thing here refers to the continued unbridled lack of personal morality. And that is sometimes exhibited just as it is here. So we've got to be careful. Secondly, carrying on from that, we think of the impact 
that preachers are having on the community around them. Listen to the words again. They also strengthen the hands of the evildoers so that no one turns back from his wickedness. These are the preachers. These are the gospel preachers. These are the prophets. They strengthen the hands of the wicked and no one turns back from his wickedness. Let me tell you this. The natural tendency of man is to turn away from God. That's his nature. That's our nature. To turn away from God. Having inherited Adam's sinful nature, this is our bent. Our bent is away from God and not towards God. You want to go out into the community if you don't believe me. And see, is there any God consciousness out there? And there's not because people have turned their back on God. They've gone away from God. They don't want God to reign and to rule over them. You'll be very hard pressed to find any God consciousness. You know, and we would look at our society and we would say that without Christian interference, without the gospel minded people interfering in society, then our society will hurtle away from God continually. You know, and what this country needs more than anything else is a strong church and strong influences emanating from its pulpits. You know, we're not here to put a balm on our society. We're not here to, to put a bit of Vaseline on it to make it more comfortable or a plaster. We're here to speak into it and tell the society where it's going wrong, what it's doing wrong, why it is in such a state. It's because we turned our back on God. You know, Jesus referred to us as being salt and light. You want salt, of course, arrests the decay. It stings. Have you ever had salt in a cat? I tell you what, it stings like mad. And we will be a stinging influence on the people around us. People won't like it when they listen to the words of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, people are rejecting it. Right, left and centre. But it's what they need. And if, if the church doesn't rise up with preachers preaching the true gospel, then this nation of ours will go to the spiritual dogs. And it will become even worse than it is today. We've been called, of course, to be light. Light. To show people. Show them the way. Give them understanding. Open up their minds to the, to the fact of God. To the fact of sin. To the fact of Christ hanging upon the cross. No, that's the only way that this country will ever move in a godly direction. If we, his people, become salt and light in the situations that we find ourselves in. You in Jeremiah, these prophets were having the opposite effect. You know, and that is why they are held as examples of people that we shouldn't adhere to or even listen to. That minister that you're listening to, is he turning people away from sin and towards God? That's the criteria. If he isn't, then reject him. Then don't listen to him. Then don't follow him. Thirdly, in verse 16, we have this injunction from God. Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you. They make you worthless. They speak a vision of their own heart and not from the mouth of God. 
How many pastors in churches today are telling everybody it's all going to be alright in the end. There is a great movement of people that have put the cross to one side. They don't mention sin. They don't mention the wrath of God. They don't mention hell. They don't mention judgment. Everything in the garden is lovely. It's wonderful. It's all going to be alright in the end. God won't send anyone to hell. All roads lead to God. Do this and you'll be okay because it's your sincerity that God is looking for. I wonder if you've ever heard anyone speak like that. You know how many churches are preaching a bloodless gospel? And how many preachers are failing to warn people of an eternity devoid of God's wonderful presence? You know, when I look at the God channel, I see too many preachers who have become life coaches. They fail to deal with the real problem that man has, and that is sin. Sin. A problem that cannot be dealt with by changing your lifestyle. Cannot be dealt with by sending money through the post. Cannot be dealt with by doing this or reforming yourself. Sin can only be dealt with by the blood of Christ. And if the blood of Christ is not preached from pulpits, then sin is not dealt with. I don't care how big your church is. And how wonderful God is going to be to you. If you haven't been washed in the blood of the Lamb, then you are not saved. And you are not a part of the church of Jesus Christ. And you are not bound for heaven. Don't care how many times you use the name Jesus. It's not the name Jesus that saves us. It's the blood of Jesus that saves us. You know, and um, life coaches and advice and wisdom, all good in their place. But if they take the place of gospel preaching, of the blood of Christ, then we are doomed. You see, Christ has shed his blood as a propitiation for our sins. Now, great sermons are of no value if they don't point out that you are a sinner. And that sin separates you from God. We sung it. If we lose the power of the cross, where would we be? If there's no power in the blood, we'd be lost for all eternity. So they are great sermons. Oh, he spoke wonderfully this morning. He spoke wonderfully. But if they don't point us to Christ, they don't tell us that sin separates. If they don't tell us that hell awaits, then they don't answer the problems that men and women have because sin is our problem. And platitudes and wisdom and good advice and life coaching doesn't cover one of your sins. Only the blood of Christ. And therefore, those preachers come prophets who speak on anything by the cross are those preachers come prophets that should be avoided. It's the message of the cross that is essential and should ring out loud and clear and define the ministry of those who are actually sent from God. Fourthly, it's the minister's standing with God that is important to see. Verses 18 to 22 says, For who has stood in the counsel of the Lord and has perceived and heard his word? Who has marked his word and heard it? Behold, a whirlwind of the Lord has gone forth in fury, a violent whirlwind. It, it will fall violently on the head of the wicked. 
younger of the Lord will not turn back until he has executed and performed the thoughts of his heart in the latter days you will understand it perfectly I have not sent these prophets yet they run I have not spoken to them yet they prophesy but if they had stood in my counsel and had caused my people to hear my words then they would have turned them from the evil way and from the evil of their doings where are people getting their ministry from let's listen to the preacher talking what does he talk about does he talk about his faith are his conversations wholesome is his attitude one of worship is he in awe of the love of God is he taken up with God does his life flow with God's presence or is it plain that he is simply carrying out a vocation you know for too long uh, the Christian ministry in this country was a certain career choice for people you know if, um, a lawyer a doctor a victor those were the acceptable pursuits of the educated years ago but even today there is so much vocational speakers abroad in the church who seem to have no relationship with God at all you know I want to listen to someone who knows God on a personal level when I listen to preachers I want them to be talking them to be talking about his saviour about his lord about you know I heard and I listened to you know the, not much of the day um songs of praise <laughs> not much of the day songs you know and the people are there and they talk about God or oh, God did this and God did that and they think why didn't you mention Jesus I'm longing for people on you know some of course do you know I'm not going to say everybody's the same you know what uh, you, and you know the difference when they do have these testimonies and you someone starts to talk about Jesus and there's something about what they say in that grabs your attention and you you turn and look I look turn and look upon him and says he knows Jesus Christ as his saviour she knows Jesus as a saviour and then you get go to someone else and they talk about their business and God was in their business and God and you think to yourself do you really know Jesus it's not coming over that you have a relationship with him he's someone over there who has done something for you somehow you know what I'd rather talk to people I want to I want to see the relationship I want to feel the relationship I want to know that they've been in the presence of God that they have learned of it it was said of the disciples people knew that they had been with Jesus and sweetly learned of him it's so apparent when you talk to people that they know Jesus personally that they know him as well as they know the person next to them you know, and this only comes when we spend time with Him in the Word, in prayer, in fellowship, in all the things that God has given to us. You know, I don't want to hear people talking about God. I want to hear people talking about God through Christ. Jesus has to be in my conversations because it's so personal. God is so um, abstract, He's so far away. Yes, He is the person that we worship. But to get to him, we need Jesus. And I want to hear people talking about their relationship with their Savior. People who have spent quality time with Jesus. 
You want people, especially people who speak for God. You know, these people who understand the mind and the heart of God are not afraid to say what God says, even though it may go against the thought of our modern society. And then lastly, does he believe that the Scriptures are the Word of God? Or is he adding his own truths? Or is he taking something away? Verses 23 to 24 says, Am I a God near at hand? Says the Lord. Am not a God, God afar off? Can anyone hide himself in secret places so I shall not see him? Says the Lord. Do I not fill heaven and earth? Says the Lord. You know there is a tendency and has been over the last 150 years or so to cast doubt on the supernatural flavour of the scriptures. You know we cast doubt on Genesis chapter 1 through 11. You know we cast that adrift and we call it a myth or we call it an allegory. You know we dump such scenes as the parting of the Red Sea and the story of Jonah we ridicule the supernatural miracles of Jesus and explain them away as natural occurrences. The virgin birth is poo-pooed. The resurrection is spiritualized in such a way as to be stripped of all its significance. The doctrines of the scriptures have been left to the corridors of learning to discuss whether they are right or whether they are wrong. But you see, this is the lifeblood of the Bible this is the only way we know that the Bible is the word of God the prophetic nature we've done it on Thursday nights the prophetic nature of the scripture marks it off as completely unique there is not a book in history that is like the Bible because the Bible is brimful of prophecies that we have watched come to pass over the centuries and even in our own time we are watching it being revealed before our very eyes the supernatural flavour of the scriptures this isn't just a sermon textbook this is the word of God his own precious word of God from cover to cover every scripture says says uh, Timothy is inspired by God and is profitable for all the things that God wants us to know Jesus said the truth will set us free you see the platitudes the musings of someone's heart someone's thought or ideal someone's dream says nothing to me nothing to me it's the word of God that ministers to me this is where my life comes from it's the word of God and I don't want to hear platitudes and I don't want to hear this, that and the other. I want to hear what God is saying. I think the Bible is the bee's knees. I've got to be honest with you. I think it is the most important thing that I've ever held in my hand. That I've ever opened up to read. <coughs> that I ever preach about. You are my desire in my spiritual life. Is that when I stand in this pulpit... I don't want to tell you the thoughts of a man's heart. I don't want to tell you what I dreamed about a fortnight ago. Yes, it might come as a great illustration for something. But I want to tell you what God is saying. I want to tell you what Jesus Christ has laid down. I want to tell you what Paul has understood about the doctrines of grace. I want to tell you 
what these Bible writers have told us and what the Holy Spirit has guarded over these many centuries. That's what I want to tell you. You know, if I sit in the congregation and listen to people telling me stories, I'm there crying out for the Word of God. And I might be honest, I wouldn't go there again. I wouldn't listen to that person again. So there are five tests. Five tests. And they're observable. And they're testable. <clears throat> and they're important to use in our search after Christian ministry. And I would say to you, put a high price on yourself. Put a high price on yourself. Don't be fobbed off with anything less than the Word of God. Don't be enamored or turned on by or turned around by powerful ministries if they don't possess the Word of God and grace. Always remember that God has given us these checks and these balances for such a time as this. Don't ignore them. Use them. In whatever circumstance you're in, morality, impact, the message of the cross. Is he true to God? Does he uphold the Bible as the word of God? And when you can tick every one of them, this isn't a four out of five is alright. This has to be every one of them. When you can tick every one of them, listen to him. Because he's got something to say. For his name's sake. Amen.